0: All right, everyone, uh, welcome again to no gi required to me. I have uh, as a guest today, a special friend that I happen to know for quite some time. I did not know in the beginning what was behind him, but he's a, a true artist. And the incredible thing is he's able to do so many things artistic and he ended up doing the art of Jiu Jitsu. That i end up to know him and become a very close friend mr eddie young um i will have jay jumping in and help me out because he's so many things that this gentleman does incredible in terms of creative and i want everyone to know that it's amazing and when you see it and go to his instagram and go to the the, the website and look into what this guy being involved with so many things in movies that people already saw and they have no idea. And the same way it's funny the way he plays Jiu-Jitsu at our academy with so many little details. Now I understand why. Because all the arts that he does, it's a lot of little details. And you guys will understand even more when I mention the names of all the customers creatures, everything that he does. It's so many little things and makes the big difference. Jay, can you please compliment here all his companies, all his artistic side outside of our school?
1: Yeah, well I mean the first thing that uh welcome Eddie, you know Thanks, Thanks mister um, The the thing that I, I uh think is pretty amazing learning about you and it's it's always the thing with Jean Jacques school, I think any martial arts school, any jujitsu school, you you train with people and you become good friends, but you really don't know what's behind that person. There's a, a sense of we're all kind of equal and we're all just here for a common purpose, and then you find out that somebody has some amazing talent or a gift, and to learn that you uh, you do these amazing uh, visual, but you started organically with sculpting and. The best part is, I mean, you're, I found out you're a Valley kid. So you grew up in the Valley, just like me. And you found your passion at a young age, a very young age. And what, like, what was your inspiration? What I know it was monster movies, but do you remember that moment when you just said, this is, this is it. This is what I want to do f- with my life.
2: Uh, yeah, I, actually it was, it was in second grade. I was seven, seven years old. And a little girl on the playground showed me this book and it was called movie monsters by Alan Ormsby. And it talked about all the classic movie monsters, Frankenstein, Dracula, creature from the black lagoon. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. At the very end of the book, he taught you children, how to make yourselves into those creatures because they were all done by a makeup artist so they had um paper mache frankenstein they had dracula and you you pencil in your a widow's peak with your mom's eyelash or eyebrow shader and and so on and I was obsessed with that book so that that was the first time something like that
0: on top of that I, I I'm always curious to know because I don't know how to draw My drawing is something like, I can't believe it. (laughs) And I see some people that born with. Did you feel that you already have that on you in terms of drawing and have that whole creativity translate from what you have in your mind to the paper, to the sculpture, because it's something that I wonder sometimes how they can do such a thing so perfect or visualize that face of the monster. Do you think that you, you had that on you even before you, I don't even know if you have to go to school <laughs> to improve, to get better, if it's a need to, because to me it sounds like you already have that on you, uh, second grade.
2: Right. So my answer to that would be, no, I did not have the talent of drawing. I did not have anything. All I had at that time was a desire, a passion, which became an obsession. And I could not stop thinking about that all the way into high school, junior high school. All I thought about was how do they make these monsters? And then I would watch the horror movies and I would say, how did they do that? How did they design that? All I had was the passion and it was not satisfied much like a, I don't know, a drug addict or something. Unless I figured out how they did that and I had to replicate it. And that's and, all I knew at that time.
0: And there was a time before all this computer revolution that yes. we have. Yes. Which even makes more challenge.
2: Right. Because back then they would sculpt things out of clay, draw, you know, paint, hand paint, everything, molds. We'd make molds on things. So I would go to the bookstores and uh, my dad would leave me in the bookstore for like an hour and I would look go right to the movie section and find books on how they did movie special effects. And then I would learn, oh, you take a life cast of the actor. They would sculpt the monster face on them. They would make a mold. They would glue it on their face when they filmed like exorcist, like American werewolf in London, all these monster movies that I loved. And I would learn from that.
0: And, and that became, I think, because one of the things I noticed in a lot of people that do well in what they love to do is they have like a goal. It's like, man, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I think that's the the main thing. Isn't a lot of people think I want to find something that I like to do in such an early age, you already found that?
2: Yes, but I I didn't know, so I was a little confused because I had parents that were immigrants, right? So they're they're Chinese, they're Asian immigrants and I had to learn piano and music and, you know, just like every other Asian stereotypical kid, I had to, yes, I had to be a doctor or a lawyer. So my, my life was planned out. You know, you're going to go to college, you're going to go to medical school, you're going to do all this stuff we want you to do. So they planned it all out and yes, they were very smart to, to do that, but they didn't realize that this particular kid was super passionate about something so much so that, I would argue with them, have got into fights with them. They're like, what's wrong with this kid? Because and, all my sisters and brothers' kids are just following, you know, they're, they're listening to us. But this kid wants to make monsters? Like, how do you make money at that? You're going to starve. You're going to, you know. So. And,
1: and case in point, um, going back to your story, you uh, you're having these debates, I guess, with your <laughs> parents. And it reminds me of uh, Jean-Jacques has a, a post that he puts on Instagram once in a while with all the great, really super successful companies. They all shared one thing in common, their beginning, where they started. And so for you, I'm sure that debate went on for a while, but just to take it to another level, you started your own studio in your parents garage. (laughs) Yes. So that's just kind of like, okay, I'll study. I'll do the piano. I'll do this, but this is the beginning. And when you started doing that, did your parents take note?
2: Yeah. Well, I kind of had to, uh, negotiate with them. So I realized, (laughs) I mean, they were like, not you're, you're putting it very nicely, but they were like knocked down, drag out yelling matches and stuff. And I'm just like, I don't understand why I can't do what I I'm passionate about. And so I I negotiated with them. I said, if I get good grades, if I keep getting Christmas money so I can buy materials and do what I want, can I start a studio in our garage and continue doing what? And they they agreed. They said, okay, as long as you get good grades and and continue doing what we want, um, that's okay. So that was my first <laughs> kind of business negotiation, if you will, to to really... Just do what I was so passionate about. That I couldn't. I, I literally had dreams about it, and I would wake up the next morning at five in the morning, running down the stairs so I could pull latex rubber out of a mold that I had poured the night before. You know, just to see my creation. You know, so. And, it was,
0: and that's another question that, to me, is, is intriguing: is how did you get inspired? How do you have the vision of this character, this monster, or how that happened with you. So early on
2: when I was much younger, um, they always say kind of, if you were, if you were to imitate something, that's kind of a form of flattery. So all I knew back then is all the horror movies I saw, you know, ET, I think came out at that time, the thing, American werewolf in London. I just tried creating, replicating those things. And that's what I was obsessed about. I didn't even know why. I just wanted to make a werewolf mask. I wanted to make a gorilla mask. I wanted to, it was based on the movies that I saw. So as a child, I didn't know where the inspiration came from, but I knew I just had to do it. I had to. As an adult and a much more mature artist, inspiration comes from everywhere. nature you know go to the ocean go to the beach you see a rock you see textures in it and you can get inspired from anything so it's very different as, as far as that's concerned
0: now let me ask you this um what a lot of a lot of people do not know is when you design a monster or when a company comes to you guys to your studio and say hey i'm making the costume of superman mm-hmm. And they think sometimes everything comes from one place, and that was what I thought. But really, more about you I understand that in every custom that, that are made, you have a little detail that comes from a different place. Mm-hmm. I really like you to to name a few, of because a lot of movies that I love it and I watch so much, I had no idea pieces mm-hmm. of that action hero, that monster, came from you. And mm-hmm. your company and mm-hmm. your partners. Mm-hmm. Please give me a name of some. I saw Superman, I saw Catwoman, I saw Iron Man, and a lot of the monsters that I'm not very familiar with, mm-hmm. but I know they're very huge in the video game. Eddie, please
1: yeah.
0: fill me in on that because there's so many, and I want people to know. And like we pay attention in details in Jiu Jitsu, <laughs> now I'm paying attention to a lot of the things that you did and the pictures that I saw the little parts Mm -hmm. that made everything look better. Right. So
2: back in the early days of movie making and filmmaking, things were much more simpler and you might've had one, maybe two artists design something, create something, contribute something. But these days, all these characters are so important to The movie company to the film company, they make so many hundreds of billions of dollars. Right? So every detail is so important. So now you have armies of artists designing one thing. It's very different, right? So you might have 10 people involved with the Superman costume, the, the mask for Catwoman or, you know, what have you, um, Catwoman actually, there was only maybe I would say three people involved myself, the costume designer and the director himself. But many times these days you have several artists. So it usually starts with the costume designer or the production designer. The production designer will usually design the whole look of the film, including spaceships, um, weapons, um, sets, costume designer very much just focused on the costume. But then under them, they'll have an army of illustrators, designers, artists. And when you start messing with something that's as incredible and historic in the American folklore as Superman, (laughs) you have many people very worried and concerned that you, number one, don't alienate him and design him so differently that you alienate the original fan base that they'll hate Superman because you designed them to look so weird and you need to attract new fan base, the younger generation of moviegoers that maybe aren't as familiar with Superman, but they don't like the fat people wearing spandex, spandex
1: (laughs) blue and
2: red underwear. So you got to kind of modernize it and bring it in without upsetting both those people so it's very much a challenge and that's why you need so many people involved um because everybody has their specialty everybody has a different take and you don't know where that perfect ideal design might come from or collaboration might come from so these days many people are involved so i don't want to take credit myself for everything oh
0: no definitely and and i know it's a teamwork but i like you to name some of the action heroes Mm -hmm some of those monsters that I'm not familiar with because I'm a white belt in video games. (laughs) But I want people to know because it's incredible. You have pieces on Superman, you have some Jurassic Park dinosaurs, you have Avatar. Yes, Give me some of the names because it's incredible.
2: Yeah, yeah, so so basically Superman, for instance. Uh, The costume designer was James Atchison. Now what I'm talking about is the remake of Superman. There were so many they spent so much money with different directors trying to remake the Superman franchise. Okay. There's like five different directors and I worked for, I think two of them. And then finally they, um, they came up with man of steel, Zack Snyder. And that was the final uh, Superman that was released for the new franchise. And uh, James Atchison was the designer for that costume. So he would hire all the different arts. Warren Mancer was one of the main artists, that drew uh, a lot of it that I worked with hand in hand. And what we actually did on Man of Steel, my company, was we created from his designs, the S logo that they called the glyph and all the trim pieces on his costume um, that were eventually glued onto the costume to make the costume what it eventually was.
0: Because it didn't have Superman yeah, you help me out. I see. Yeah, yeah. Catwoman, uh, and j- I see those kid. big characters there. And uh, then
2: I- yeah, a lot of those are video games. So, um, so for instance, Catwoman. So that story was a little different. Um, the studio hired the the costume designer hired me to help help them out, and they said, "Hey, we have this new movie with Christian Bale, Batman, Christopher Nolan's directing, and we want you to help us design." So I came in the first day. I was thinking I was going to help with Bane. So I was like, I want to do Bane. Yeah. Like, oh no, Bane's already designed. <laughs> they're like, we want you to help out with Catwoman. I'm like, Oh, the girl, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be sexist or anything, but you know, I'm much more testosterone, just, you know, evil, horrible, uh, frightening looking designs. And like, oh, I got to do Catwoman. Okay. Okay. Wh- what do you got? And they said, Oh, we have this idea where she'll put her, her glasses on top of her head and then she'll look like, it'll look like, you know, ears sticking out or something. And I said, but, but when you have those glasses down, it'll look stupid because her her ears will be pointing straight out of her face. And they're like, yeah, we don't know what to do. So then I thought about it and I said, if I put a hinge here and I put a hinge here and did a really quick uh, 3D digital model and I showed them. And all of a sudden Christopher Nolan, the director saw it he's like, that is clever, that's that's what I want, that's great. And almost the first day I designed the mask. And so that was really cool. And Lindy Hemming was the costume designer at the point, I have to give her credit you know, for hiring me and telling me what they were thinking and all that stuff. And um, that was, I think one of the most proudest moments I had because there was nobody else in between. It was literally my design, the director saw it, lindy hemming said she loved it and that was it So,
0: and and what what is the deal because i saw some of the monsters that you go to a lot of those fairs for video games yes what is that involvement with video game how you come up from a two inch character in the screen to come to 20 feet huge size showing in those fairs how
2: so so one of the images you were looking at was uh, called overwatch It's a very good video game called overwatch and it was by blizzard and i come from film so I'm i'm a little uneducated in the video game world but i knew this was blizzard's huge release so this was as big as like star wars you know for them to release this new franchise and they came up to us and they said hey we have these characters and what's interesting about video games is you only see them in the computer. Yes. You, know, you never see them in real life.
0: <laughs> it looks real to me.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, that's but that's real. So, so whenever they call us to build something, that's very exciting because the fans get to see what it looks like in real life instead of just on a computer screen. So they called us and they said, it, actually, the advertising agency called us and they were called Droga 5. They were in New York. And they said, we have this release of overwatch, which we're responsible for multi multi multi-million dollar campaign, you know, it was a huge release. And they said, here's our idea. And their idea was to release three of the characters from the video game as toy action figures. Like you would buy in Toys R Us, you'd take it right off the shelf and it's in their bubble pack with a cardboard behind it. And we want to make them 16 feet tall, in three different cities in the world. And I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> so we never say no, we only say, okay, we'll figure it out. So I started figuring it out and I said, hey, it'd be a lot cheaper and uh, easier to do if we made it like a box, like a clear box, like you would find in a Toys R Us or something. And They agreed, they said, fine, that's fine. And so we started from there and we said yeah i think we can do this and we budgeted it we you know scheduled it and the one thing i told them because the tight the time frame was so tight it was literally we had 3 or 4 months to make it with one month of shipping to the different cities um that i said the only thing i ask is that blizzard and your company cannot make any comments it's like we got to just go we got to make this we don't have time you know we don't even know how we're going to make it but (laughs) we we don't have time because there's there's 16 foot figures three different cities right
0: please check that out because it looks (laughs) awesome and if you know the video game we're talking about man it's a huge huge action now to me it's like an action figure it's not like the monster but it's incredible this is another example that when people come to our jiu-jitsu school to train until the time we know that person well we never know what's behind what is coming to our environment and here i am i'm a white belt talking about to a coral belt artist because this is incredible and uh and i never knew until i'm start to get to know you and not only stop on that i think he's Today after so many years being training jujitsu, does that jujitsu end up having any impact in your life in general? Private at work? Is there any any I would say benefit, anything that you feel like a switch that makes you feel better?
2: Of course, of course. It's Jiu-jitsu is integrated into my life. Like I will be doing it forever. Um so I look at the happiness, like what makes a person happy, right? And I believe it is balance of many different things. Right. For me, it's left brain, right brain, it's finance, it's romance, it's health. It's jujitsu takes care of my health, physical, everything, self-confidence, mental. All that stuff. It takes care of all that. All I got to do is show up to class. and takes care of a huge percentage of my happiness. Right. That's how I look. It's a very simple way of looking at it. But seriously, it really does. And then besides that, like the psychological part, when you're about to give up, like, okay, so when I was white belt and first started training, you know, the minute somebody puts your arm around your neck, you want to tap. Now I realize I can wait a long time and half the time people can not choke me. It doesn't, it doesn't really affect me. So I realized if you can wait a little bit and just stick it out and it it, it teaches me to continue fighting, don't stop. And so many times I realize if I didn't stop,
1: I was actually, I'm fine. I could keep going. Now, with that in mind, I have a question regarding that. I'm going to kind of jump back a little bit. Um, Before you started your companies, you obviously were very fortunate, especially here in L.A., you know, people want in the entertainment industry, and you were able to make some connections at a very young age, um, which I'd like to hear more about. But the one thing that I read was that you, up until a a certain point, everything was sculpting. It was mm-hmm. just hands-on mm-hmm. and then the digital realm took over and that was something that was a hard sell for you. You kind of struggled with it. Did absolutely. Did you kind of, I, cause I can see the correlation because you spent close to a year, if I'm not mistaken, before it really yep. took hold. How did you, how did you manage that? Because this is your passion we're talking about yep. and being told that now we're not going to be doing as much hands-on. Now it's going to be behind a screen. Right. How, how did you how did you deal with that?
2: Um I think absolutely jiu jitsu help with that. Um I was at a point where, you know, Jurassic Park had come out. The the writing was on the wall. Abyss, Terminator 2, digital effects were prevalent. The age of making rubber monsters was absolutely disappearing. We were all having internal discussions about it. Everybody I worked with, oh, my God, we're we're as as extinct as the dinosaurs. And I did not want to give up on it. I just I had a great friend named Aaron Sims who started doing Photoshop, then started doing 3D modeling. And I said, hey, I want to learn. And a similar thing from jiu-jitsu was just discipline. Just go. Just show up. That's like one of the mantras in jiu-jitsu. Just keep coming. I did that. That was my mindset. It wasn't, this is so hard to learn and this sucks and this is horrible. I just kept showing up to my friend's apartment and he was learning too. We would meet three times a week and just learn. I didn't know what I was doing. I, <laughs> I just wanted to keep touching it. Then he got a job doing it professionally at another studio. I just continued at l- at my lunch hour. I just kept doing it. And one day it clicked. I'll never forget that day. When 3D software to me, I thought it was a modeling sculpting software because I didn't know any better. I, I barely knew what a mouse was, let alone a keyboard. <laughs> and it clicked that day. Wow, this program is a movie studio, it has lights, it has cameras. You can fly the camera through the scene. You can animate the camera as much as the the, the characters that you create. And that day was epiphany. And that day changed my life. I am just like, oh, my God, I finally understand this. And I kept learning and so on. But had I not been training jiu-jitsu, um, I think I would have given up. It was just like, I don't know. It, it's just so ingrained in your life. It's just like the never give up attitude. It's like you don't even have to mentally be there. Just go. Yeah, you yeah. know it, what I mean?
0: It Coincidentally, a lot of the quotes that I use myself on Instagram, evidently not all of them is mine. But yesterday I put one that fits perfectly in what you just said. Don't give up. You could be one day from success.
2: Absolutely.
0: And that's what is the whole idea behind our podcast is to make sure someone that's sitting out there, which has the desire, which work on the same line of Mm -hmm. same field as you are, listen to you right now, probably going to some. Tough times, understand that you can make it. It's just maybe one more day and you're right there, but not giving up. And that's the main thing behind what we're doing over here is to make sure somebody out there, I have no doubt, a lot of people right now that listen to us are able to connect exactly with everything that you're saying right now. On top of this, um, not sure how long ago. You have a small injury training (laughs) jiu-jitsu here at the school. And with the vision that you have into details, you come up with an idea. And a lot of people out there, if you don't know, Eddie Young is also a co-founder of Luta Gear. And I just wanted to go briefly to how that creation came up.
2: Uh. Okay, so yeah, I was training with uh, Neil Bernardino, who was a black belt at the time. I didn't know him very well. And he was in my guard. And I remember he jumped over my guard. And then all of a sudden, my ring finger was in pain. I I didn't know what happened. And the ring finger had laterally bent. So it was very painful. (laughs) And I was like, ah oh, crap, you know, and then I remember my business manager was so upset with me. He's like, why the hell are you training jujitsu? You're an artist and your hands are so valuable being an artist. It's like, well, what's wrong with you? And I like, I don't know. I, I'm obsessed with jujitsu. I can't stop. So don't talk, even try and talk me out of it. I'm just going to continue. So I, I got, you know, I went to orthopedic doctor and he gave me the, you know, the, uh, aluminum splint with the blue foam in it and all that stuff. And then eventually he, he buddy taped it he, he called it buddy taping. He taped it to my good middle finger. And I was like, I don't want to tape my fingers every time I train, there's gotta be a better solution. So being in the effects industry already, I had so many artists working with me and you know, people who sew things and manufacture fabric things. So I said, like, hey, can you can you do this for me? Just make two tubes out of neoprene and I could like and then make a little tab on it so I can pull it on easy. And so she did that. Uh, her name was Vanessa. Thank you so much, Vanessa. And and Ina actually was was early on the development of it. And um, she gave me that. Then I trained the next day with it on. And one of the guys here at the school said, hey, what is that? And I said, oh, I injured my finger and it's just a little thing I made. And he said, do you have a patent on that? And I'm like, no. And he said, I'm a lawyer and if you don't patent that, I'm gonna steal your idea. (laughs) (laughs) And he was being very friendly, very kind, trying to push me. So I I realized that and said, oh, okay. So I went up to Neil, the guy who injured me, And I said, Hey, Neil, um, I don't have a lot of time. You know, I got businesses I'm running and all this stuff. If you have any time, what I was thinking is this, I pitched him the whole idea. I said, Hey, you know, this little gear thing, that guy over there just told me, he's going to steal our idea. <laughs> you know, if we don't start this right away. And Neil's like, Oh, that sounds good. And I said, and best of all, and make a great story. You know, we tell people how it started and he agreed to it and it kind of sat for three years because we were both so busy. But on the fourth year, he had already submitted it because he worked It next takes to, time. Yeah. It,
0: had, it takes time.
2: But he had a glove manufacturer near him. And it finally get, got going like in the fourth year or something. So,
1: Born out of adversity. Yes. You know?
2: Absolutely. I
1: remember that too because I remember asking Neil because I didn't really- I always showed up different times from you, but I saw Neil quite a bit. And I remember the early prototypes, I would ask him because my left hand, the pinky and the ring finger are just kind of out of whack. So I'd always need support. Right. And uh, I use it all the time. And then one day, it might have even been you, I came in and I had the two, but I had my middle finger taped. (laughs) And whoever it was, I can't remember which one of you it was, but you're like, wait, what are you what are you doing? You gave me a face and then ran over and then gave me, we just came oh, out with email. a three finger. Yeah. So <laughs> thank you. It saved my jujitsu career, you know? And it's IBJJF legal. You, I, yeah. I wear it in
0: competition.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. We were surprised at that, but yeah.
0: The, do you know the great thing behind all of this is not only he, he's behind and create that company with Neil, that is his partner, but on top of that, the way he sees is a lot of, um, companies, creations that involve into the martial arts world. You not only did that and um, hopefully it takes time for people to understand to actually making profit out of, but one amazing thing knowing you is that you invest and help so many people. You sponsors a, sponsor a lot of people behind with Luta gear and that incentive that you do, man, it, it changed a lot of people's life know it's the company behind the way I see is not with the intent to just profit but this the push that you're doing to so many people I saw people from all over the world you look Gear get your days everywhere <laughs> I saw in Japan I saw in Brazil I saw everywhere mm-hmm. you go and and people sending happily pictures to you yeah. with the finger not looking so good but with Luther gear on the hand which is amazing and for people there to have an idea, and I know Eddie for a long time, I don't know if you'll he, be okay, but I'm going to mention anyways. It's on this whole process that we have in the past, this year with the COVID and all of this. I, I saw and I got a call from Eddie that at his own and using the profit of the sales of Luther King and a lot of things, he was making masks. Because on the beginning of this whole scenario that with COVID, not every hospital, not every clinic actually had the protection they need. And he just went to smaller clinics with the frontline people that regardless of having protection or not, were there helping people that they need. And I think if I'm not wrong, he made over 5,000 masks. At his own and delivered to all those places. You're actually shields, if I'm not mistaken, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, face shields. This is something that he did because he cares about people, not to promote himself. But I'm here saying that because I want people to know how important it is that everyone out there that you think sometimes you cannot, you don't have enough to help someone, and that it just like so many things, he just took action. He just made it. How was that, man? Because you did. Saved people's life doing this shield protection. How? When was the day, I man? I need to help.
2: Yeah, I think I think in the beginning when COVID started, nobody knew what was going on, and everybody. I I don't want to just say it's myself, but I'm sure everybody at home was just like, "What can I do?" I knew what I could do. I I knew I had the machines. I knew I had the talent. I knew I had the people that we could really do something. The only thing I was missing is the connection between the hospitals. I didn't want to make something and then walk in through the front door of a hospital and say, hey, here's a bunch of masks. And they didn't know where it come from. They didn't know. I wanted that connection to make sure all of our hard work would go to the right directly to the front lines. Yes, Yes. So that came in a person named Lisa Yen. Um, a good friend of mine, Natalie Wong, knew I had 3D printers and all this. So she initially said, hey, I think you could do this. And then she helped me. And then she introduced me to Lisa Yen. Lisa Yen was the key because I knew I had an army of people willing to help, you know, because of what I do and all the talent and, and everybody that was capable of doing all this stuff. So my studio symbolic effects even said, how, what can we do to help? Everybody wanted to help. So I want to make sure that it's not just me. Everybody wanted to do something. Everybody wants. So, In every city we discovered that all the materials were gone to make these face shields because so many people wanted to help and they were buying all the materials. Anybody that could manufacture this stuff was already doing it. So, But what was incredible, at least again, I met with doctors and all that stuff and they kind of said, I made a couple prototypes and they said, oh, we like this one better. I would put a cover here. I would make this do this. So a couple doctors and nurses came and I met with them, but it was so early and I wasn't thinking that that's another kind of thing I should point out is that I'm so laser focused on the goal. Um, I didn't think that I was meeting with doctors and nurses who are treating COVID patients. And my wife was like, you just met with doctors, and you know, you're, you you can not come home because I was living with my, her mother yes. who's elderly and diabetic and like, oh crap i didn't even think about that so I, I slept at my studio for four or five days while we worked out what i should do to get back home <laughs> and she eventually moved downstairs and she, you sleep upstairs for two weeks while you quarantine
1: and it's important to point out i know like Jean Jacques said it wasn't something that you really wanted to put out there you, you know when you give i think it's important you give from the heart
2: Absolutely. There, you know, we didn't think about any, it's just no but, thought. But
1: <laughs> nope. you made the local news. So, I mean, I'm just sitting there having my coffee and uh. I'm like, I know that guy, you know, it was pretty amazing. And it just kind of spread like wildfire, at least amongst all of us here. Cause it was a really Im- important.
2: Um, yeah, yeah. And it's important for me to, you know, I don't want to be on the news or anything. I just want to spread the information so that we can get more. We were working with a church. Um, At the time and we were getting donations for the materials and it was just important to me that we kept this thing going for as long as they needed and What was wonderful about Lisa is that she focused on the hospitals that didn't have protective equipment at the time and Then after that after things kind of calmed down. She focused on retirement homes Which everybody forgot about yeah, yeah. there's like news stories where bodies were piling up so she wanted to give things to retire the the uh, old folks' home, retirement homes, and she kept finding those places where uh, the regular the there was no money, and and our products were actually very helpful. So that's that that was the laser focus. That's all I cared about, and that that's all that mattered at the time.
0: What would you say to someone that wants to? St- Wants to start it in the line of business that you are today. Wants to become an artist like you are. What would you do say? Wh- what would be the few points that you would give, with your experience already being through so many challenge to these people out there?
2: Number one is passion. You you cannot teach passion. I'm sure, much like yourself or Jay are so passionate about jujitsu you're probably very similar to me you couldn't stop you you thought about it night and day if you have that drive that you can't teach that if you have it or don't have it you know that's that's one thing or another so if you don't have it as much but you still want to do this is discipline so you're just mimicking the person that has passion which means you got to think about 24 7. you got to train you got to practice sculpting, learn anatomy, you got to learn materials. It, it depends if you're very specific to what I do, like concept design or sculpting or that kind of stuff, you got to train sculpting and clay. You got to learn all the new digital tools that all the new artists are learning. You got to continue to reinvent yourself, never be satisfied where you are. You got to keep changing and going with the times and what the new tools are. I'm sure it's the same, similar to jujitsu is like, what? Oh, this, here's the new thing. And that's what I hate and love about jujitsu It's just like, I thought I learned all this stuff. And then there's like new stuff. There's like <laughs> stuff you haven't thought about. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's like never ending learning. And it's like, okay, all right, well, I just have to accept that. But similar to anything, it's like everything that we do, every industry evolves
0: and on top changes. of that is, uh, I think it would be almost one question for two different or same subjects. What is the art means to you? And on top of that is, is there any similarity between the arts that you do in jujitsu and what that means to you? Absolutely. So, so art in the sense of what I do,
2: here's how I look at it. If life was devoid. Had no art in it. Just imagine all the buildings, just white cubes. Imagine all the cars, white cubes. There'd be no clothing that people wear, whatever gray, whatever slacks and shirt. There'd be no artists everything that you see today, visually wouldn't exist because everybody that made a T-shirt to shoes, to the building that you're in, to the interior design, to the car, to the movies that you watch, to the perfume bottle that you see, to the toothpaste that you squeeze out to the toothbrush design. Everything is designed by an artist. Everything we see around is designed by an artist. And today more so than ever, because of CAD design, a digital computer, every camera that you see, every cell phone. These microphones we're using, everything's designed and it gives it a unique quality that an artist interpreted. Otherwise it would just be like, I don't know, communist China in the fifties or something. It just looked like gray buildings and everybody's wearing the same clothing or something. You know what I mean? So art is so important. Music videos, everything, you know, sculpture. And every artist is trying to push the boundaries and take art into a new the next level, whether you're a video music director, whether you design, uh, iPads, whether, you know, whatever it is that you do so art is so essential and without it, it's so life is so boring. It's so different jujitsu and art is so similar because jujitsu is just endless right now. I mean, okay, so here's my gripe. It's like, I think go was doing foot locks. Back in I don't know the early uh, '90s when I when I was went to jujitsu tournaments and I went to jujitsu tournaments and watched them nobody was there there's nobody had a jitsu it was just the weirdest thing and I just saw Go and he was like tapping everybody out and then now Gordon Ryan comes around the Don of her Death Club and like footlocks I was like wait a minute dude Gokor was doing this like 20 years ago or something but now it's so popular and it's just constantly evolving now it's accepted I don't know what what the politics are behind that, but it's accepted. It's evolving. The barambolos, the, the everything. There's just like all these new moves, and I'm just like, wait a minute. I just got all this stuff down, and now Eddie Bravo <laughs> comes out, and there's like all these new terms. I was like, and then Jean Jacques and Hicks and all these. Everybody just say like, the foundations. The foundations. And I'm like, okay. So I'm I'm not gonna be too. Uh, enamored with all the new stuff. I I just got to need the the founding things. So, but it's so similar. It's just like anybody who could come up with anything and it works, you know, it just becomes part of their arsenal.
0: Now is the easy question for you. Who is Eddie Young? Uh,
2: I believe, okay. Truly. I believe I'm forever the student forever of life because it just doesn't stop. I'm so tired. I wish it would stop, (laughs) but in my field, in jujitsu, in my relationship, my kids, I learn every day and you, you can't stop. It just continues. You just keep learning new things. My kids teach me things. I learned things from the white belts here from the black belts, from every belt here, I learned things from the new artists coming up who said, Hey, I I just tried this technique with this program is like produce amazing results. And I'm like, oh, wow, wow. That's amazing. It just never ends. It's just, you're a student continuously. and I And I truly believe when you stop learning, you're done, you know, you're just you might as well just hang up the, the <laughs> coat and say, lie down and say, okay, I'm done, you know, but I think we're just continuously learning if, if you want to succeed or, or if you're driven enough to continue and want to go to new places, you, you, you have to continuously learn You know, because it's never, it.
1: I have a question. Yes. How did you finally convince your parents? you know, you don't want to be a doctor, you don't want to be a lawyer, that you want to do this. At what point? When did it When did it finally?
0: <laughs> and and right on the beginning you said, your parents said, what's wrong with this guy? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, I think they misunderstand what right, is right with this guy. Because looking today, you're right.
2: Well, let me put it this way, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> I was 45 years old. And my dad was like, you can still go to night classes. <laughs> you can still get an MD. Uh, uh, they, I don't think he ever relented cause that was just so ingrained in his, I would say 1940s thought process, you know, just like, you got, you got to be a doctor to succeed or something.
1: Yeah. I, I, I say this with all respect. I think our generation, you know, our family always wants what's best for us, but sometimes. In a respectful way, I feel like they stopped learning because to recognize that you were this, this, this child that had such a, such a passion, who wouldn't want that for their child to like know that, wow, this is, this is something that they are just focused on. How many times in here, and John Jacques will tell you, we work with children here. It's a big thing. And we have the conversations with the parents, you know, and and a big part of the conversations are they come in because they're looking for their passion. I'm trying sports. I'm trying this, I'm trying to get them into something, something that's going to, it's going to click, you know? So for you, I mean, what an amazing thing that you were able to not only find it at such a young age, but you're actually able to live it. And it's, it gives your life such purpose. And I think that's why you're doing all these amazing things that you're able to do. And it's also why I think you have the coolest name for your business, Deity Creative. (laughs) I think that's just the best. And then I know you have the other one too, the shadow effects. Or symbolic. Symbolic effects, I'm sorry. Yeah, Yeah, symbolic effects, but... um, Yeah, I mean, Deity came about
2: because people are saying, oh, you guys are like gods because you make things. You make life and creatures and things like that. But I I wanted to go back and and absolutely... um, talk about what what you emphasize, which is passion. I mean, uh, even to this day, I think my parent, my, my dad passed away, but my mom is just kind of getting it, you know, and the passion thing and and all that. And it's like, why did you come to America? You know, this is the land where you can kind of work hard and do whatever you want and succeed. Right. Uh, I wanted to make monsters you can't make a living at It's that. crazy to an immigrant, right back in 1960s, you know, that's crazy. My son's going to make monsters for movies and be successful. I mean, that's the craziest dream, but wow. Today in the art schools and like art center, so many Asian kids who, and I say Asian because I mean, they're all kind of cut from the same mold. It's like, you gotta be a doctor. You gotta be a lawyer. You gotta learn piano. You gotta learn violin and all this stuff. And it's all true. Um, but it's, you can make a living at this. And now the younger Asian parents are like, wow, you make as much as a doctor makes. It's like, Oh, wow. You designed video game characters. and
1: And there's, there's an element as well. Even if you didn't, there's always a trade off. Mm-hmm. You have a demanding career like a doctor. I mean, the, the amount of stress yes. that is placed on them. But if you have something that you're passionate about, it, it goes back to that balance. You know, you work hard, you, you sacrifice, but it, it's something you do out of love.
0: It's in a way no longer looks like a job. Yes. While you're working. I never in my whole life felt jujitsu is a job yeah. or work. You never it's worked a it. day in your life. Oh, never. Like, yeah. I just feel like, man, it's my hobby, my favorite thing to do. Yeah. And I get paid. Yeah, people pay me to come here. I will come for free, <laughs> <laughs> and that's something that I never felt in one day of my life that I'm actually working And When you love what you do, that's the feeling you get for sure.
2: Absolutely, and, and that, that's the, the, to the parents that bring their kids here, and and all the next generations. Like, I hope they're smarter about that. I think I think people that grew up in this country realize there's so many opportunities and so many different ways of making a living here, and, and
0: you can, can pursue your passions. And, and make it happen for sure yeah yeah for sure yeah absolutely yes everyone out there here we go um man i think i can talk to ed for days (laughs) for sure so many things and so many more things that i I will ask him and i just want to make sure that he he's an incredible person here he's uh, someone that i get to know more again who he is Behind his face, and I know now so much about him, and become good friends. Thank you for coming, Eddie. It. it was yeah, thank it you. was awesome. Yeah, thank, man. You thank you so much. Thank you for being Jay, here. And man, we I have so many more questions for you. <laughs> that'll leave for another time. And we'll thank put, you.
1: And we'll put your uh, your links, your two companies, and some I think there's some great information to share with our viewership. So that that'll that'll be on the video as well. Awesome. So thanks again. Thanks, Professor. All right, professor. everyone.
0: Thank you for another no gear required and i have this incredible person here with me eddie young i will see you soon on the mat sir yes see you tomorrow take care (laughs)